Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. Today, we have Joshua from New Progressive Voice on again. Uh, this will be our first one-on-one conversation on Moving Forward. The last episode that he ha- he was in um, was uh, New Progressive Voices, number 132. And that was actually a crossover episode where Joshua was interviewing me and Corey about our recent breakup. Um, so today, this is uh, Joshua's first uh First time being on as a uh, recurring guest star of Moving Forward. Um, he calls himself a, a progressive. His channel is called New Progressive Voice, um, and he has a take on progressivism that I find really refreshing. So say hi, Joshua, and then maybe speak a little bit about that. Oh, thanks, Rio, and uh, hello to the listening audience. Uh, yeah, I do have a channel. It's called New Progressive Voice, and that channel was started in 2015, mainly inspired by Bernie's movement. Really, I was looking back, going back to the roots of progressivism, which was founded in America with Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, so I appreciate you bringing me on to have that conversation here. Yes, absolutely. And I'm, um, I'm sure we'll have lots of conversations where we can disagree with one another. Uh, I, I, this time I wanted to have a, t- I set as a topic, um, progressive versus the left. Um, because I believe that, um, progressivism and conservatism are compatible. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, I don't think that progress only and exclusively can ever come from the left and certainly not the radical left. I believe that you can be conservative and still believe in progress. I think you can be right wing and still believe in progress. Um, So I wanted to do an episode breaking down um, what, if anything, might be the difference between progressive and left, the way people use it in colloquial parlance. And and given your interest in returning to the roots of progressivism, also the historical precedent for that. So basically, um, we're going to use as a jumping off question here you know, um, is progressive simply a synonym for radical left-wing politics? If not, then what's the difference? And what does this all mean for contemporary U.S. party politics? Hmm. So I'm just going to let you let you roll with that and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, so I would say that the way we consider politics today, progressivism might be a tool that could be better utilized through the left, mainly because... Uh, the way we've drifted uh, the Overton window so far to the right, when we consider p- progress, we're really considering barbarianism and moving towards civilization. And I would say to some extent, the right has become, and I'm talking about the radical right, the far right has become somewhat barbaric. And so in that sense, if you can consider equilibrium, you would then uh, rectify that by peppering it with some left policy, you know. However, progressivism as a term is not considered right or left, really. So uh, it's more the context. So you def- most definitely, it is uh, uh, moving towards civilization when we consider conserving some things. Another way of considering conser- uh, or progressivism is enlightenment, from which the, uh, at least in the Western world, the idea or understanding of progressivism was born. Uh, John Stuart Mill's uh, laissez-faire capitalism even was one of the uh, component or, or, or sort of... Uh, Wait, are you uh, telling me progressive isn't just a synonym for socialism? That's right. Absolutely not. It has nothing really to do with political identification. It's a philosophy. It's a philosophy of enlightenment, really. Um, and how you think about that can be often a topic of discussion. You know, and hopefully a civilized society would come as you and um, Rio, you and your former co-host Corey coined, you know, consensus coming to consensus in a civilized manner rather than the radical sort of barbarian approach to politics. Yeah. And that's the kind of progressivism that I'm okay with. Right. So. I, I believe that everybody, I've said this on the podcast many times, I believe that everybody, um, or at least most people, when they're being honest with themselves, um, is conservative in some ways and progressive in some ways, in the sense that to the extent that there's anything about society that we believe is worth conserving, that we are conservative to that extent, exactly. And um, insofar as there's anything in society where we think we should improve upon the status quo, we are progressive. Um, I don't consider conservative and progressive opposites. Um I, I think they they actually kind of need each other in a way. 
um, they, they, they rely upon one another for um, achieving their own goals. Um, and to, to clarify that, I think it's because if, uh, if you deny all opportunities for progress, then you alienate anybody who um, is unsatisfied with the status quo. That results in the rise of radicalism, um, which is a threat to um, preserving what's good about society. So on the one hand, conservatives need to be open to real progress in order to succeed at conserving the good aspects of society that they want to conserve. At the same time, if people in trying to improve the situation don't take seriously the possibility that they might actually cause more harm than good, um, which is to say if people who are trying to achieve progress don't take seriously the conservative mindset in doing so, um, the odds that they that they will cause regress, which is the real opposite of, pro of progress, go up. So in order to be a conservative, you really have to be a little progressive. And in order to be progressive, you really have to be a little conservative. Um, and I think it's important for us to move past thinking of those things as if they're in opposition with, an, with one another. There, there is a real enemy of conservatism, and that's radicalism. And there is a real enemy of progressivism, and that's regressivism. Would you agree with that, Joshua? Yeah, I, I do. And I often find it more problematic to consider conservatism as being the opposite to progressivism. I think they work hand in hand, and they're not really opposites. Um, and I've often had a difficult time coming up with the term that would be the opposite of conservatism. I know some people might say it's liberalism. I think that's probably more, but then liberalism is sort of the cornerstone of uh, Western thought. So yeah, so and so I mean, I, I would I would say that during the American Revolution, being a liberal uh, would have been radical, right? Right. Which would have put it in opposition to conservative. But what's what what's conservative is relative, right? Nowadays we live in a society, a modern civilization that's built by the fruits of liberalism, and preserving that is conservative. Right. I think that what you have currently economically is a system that has become uh, hyper-capitalistic and as a result has become barbaric in nature and thus uh, does require rectification. And we can see generally, in my opinion, a lot of what the left in the current political modern landscape is putting out there as some solutions, uh, I think, are some of the answers that will help us to rectify that to... Uh, put it back on course to a more civilized approach to do if by if I left you mean Democrats I, I I would agree with that at this time and again I think as I was saying earlier recalling that Theodore Roosevelt was a Republican and he was the founding father of progressivism in America so it's really not about whether it's Democrat or Republican it's more about context and in this case because of where we are politically I think Democrats are generally much, much more, um, and we're talking about moderate Democrats, not necessarily the far left. Uh, they're much more nuanced about some of the solutions, I think, that are going to be necessary to sort of uh, bring into check uh, the economic um, yeah, I would say the Democratic establishment appears to be the only group of people who are even attempting to thread the needle, the needle between conserving what's good and progressing where needed. Nobody else really seems to be interested in even attempting that. Just the context of uh, where we are in the political landscape, uh, not only economically, but I would also argue socially as on the, some of the social topics, uh, has really not caught up with the times and as a result uh, has left a lot of people behind in uh, a sort of barbaric approach to living really in, in, in general society. So I think because the GOP has drifted toward, you know, a sort of extreme form of rugged individualism um, and, you know, taking on some very hyper-capitalistic policies, it's become sort of barbaric, and that's the opposite of what I'd consider civilized and enlightened or uh, progress. Yeah, there, I, there's um, there's a little room for some nuanced disagreement there, but I appreciate your overall approach. I would make a distinction. I think what you said is true to an extent in what was until very recently the Republican establishment, right? Uh, but I think that in what the GOP has become now, um, honestly, I would be less worried about it if I thought that they were just pushing for rugged individualism. Um, I, I think that what they're actually pushing for 
is um, a consequence of the fact that they're now dependent electorally upon the votes of people in deindustrializing states um, who are reacting against free trade capitalism. I think that uh, what they're actually looking for, whether they would call it or not, is they want a situation where they um, increase taxes on blue states, which um, especially on the coast, states like California and New York are enormously wealthy relative to the poor states in the middle of the country that voted for Trump. They want a situation where they raise taxes on those states and then use it for um, social democratic policy that benefits Trump voters. Um, And simultaneously, they also want to oppose um, free trade uh, internationally because they've been convinced that that together with immigration is the um, the cause of the the ills of the white working class um, in those places. So I don't I don't see the new Republican establishment since it's bent over backwards for Trump and his reactionary labor movement um, as being in favor of the rugged individualism because rugged individualism would mean actually cutting social security, which Trump ran on supposedly not doing. If he actually ends up doing it, I would almost welcome that. Um, but in, in reality, what he's doing is he's, uh, he's, he's telling people, he's telling all these workers what they want to hear. Um, and to the extent that he's actually following through on a crackdown on immigration or on, um, walking away from trade deals like the TPP and so forth, he's actually been, um, doing the, the will of people who are not rugged individualists, but people who want big government to come in and intervene to solve their problems for them. Whereas uh, as, as more of a, of a right-wing conservative myself, especially economically, I would have preferred that the Republican Party just kept telling them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and take some personal responsibility, frankly. Okay. Are you referring to uh, some examples might be the subsidies going to the Midwestern farmers and things of that nature? Yeah, which, that- are, which are made necessary by virtue of right. the fact that Trump has you know, entered into a unilateral trade war with the entire civilized world. Yeah, I can't say I disagree with you. Um, I think what I'm really referring to, uh, I should have been more specific, is the way that it sponsors socialism for corporations, more more of your uh, corporatism approach to doing things. Yeah, I, more... thank you. I appreciate that distinction. I would say rather than hyper-capitalist, it's actually more like kleptocratic. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, the end result ends up being hyper-capitalism in my opinion, but uh, I think that the root causes, we agree on that. Uh, but yeah, I think that because of the way the GOP has drifted uh, as toward uh, not only some of the social issues, but also the approach to economics, um, to me, in my opinion, toward the extreme right, uh, I think that uh, we need to rectify that by you know bringing more equal liberal equal liberalism or equal liberal I, I certainly agree that we need an equilibrium I really sorry. do um, and I don't I don't think we need to get in, into a, a big debate about what qualifies as right or left um, but just to, just so you know where I'm coming from you know I would consider actual far right policy would be ending social security ending welfare um, ending food stamps, uh, ending Medicare, et cetera. And I just do not see a big popular groundswell of support for that in Trump's base. What I see in Trump's base is, you know, people who say things like, get your government hands off my Medicare. Right. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'll just let that statement stand for what it is. Um, but I agree with you that we need equilibrium. I, I, I want to thread the needle. I want to come up with practical policy solutions that will result in actual progress um, not in regress in the name of progress. Um, and that means that uh, progressives like you who are willing to listen to conservatives and are willing to, you know, um, thread that needle and 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 create policy that's not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I, I welcome it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the way that you've contextualized it, you know, is, is much better than the way I was trying to describe it. We don't necessarily disagree there. Well, I think the way you were describing it was also fine. I think that I think what you're saying has some truth to it. I think it was especially true about the Republican establishment pre-Trump. But even when they had more power over the party, there was always a huge disconnect between them and their base, which is significantly more economically left-wing. Yeah. So when I think about progressivism, I'm not tied to you know uh, Medicare or Social Security being the answer. You know, I'm not saying that that's the final. You know be all, end all. Um, 
most. I like the sound of that. Can you can you say a little bit more about that? If you were going to reform those and replace them with something else, I'm guessing that's going to be along the lines of the human capitalism that Yang proposes. Absolutely, Uh, it would have to be a long term uh, goal. It couldn't be something you would you know obviously push through within four or even ten years. It would have to be over a course of many years, and then those that are currently on Social Security would have to essentially pass on. You know, Uh, and the newer generations would take on you know, more of a market um, approach, education, uh, becoming more financially savvy, investments, things of that nature. Ah, wow. You're really, you're really singing my tune. I think we're going to be able to find a lot of common ground on policy proposals. Um, so I love that. Uh, maybe, uh, uh however, let's, I, I let's, let's, let's make sure we really address the, the, the core question here though. So if you have, so if one, one mistake that a lot of people make is they think that when, we try to make a distinction between a term like left and a term like progressive, right? And between a term like conservative and a term like right, and between a term like socialist and capitalist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is um, people tend, it seems to me, tend to want very simple black and white ways of looking at things um, and default towards seeing the world that way. Um, so when you try to get into nuance, uh, it just it, it confuses the hell out of people. But fortunately, the folks who listen to this show Love it. They live for that kind of nuance. Um, so one, one one important clarification to make is that when we say progressive is not a synonym for left, that doesn't mean that it's the opposite of left, right? It's not like it either has to be a synonym, synonym or the opposite, right? That's not how language works. <laughs> most words are not the opposite of or the synonym of most other words, right? Um, progressive means that you want to improve the status quo. And sometimes that means moving a little left. Sometimes that means moving a little right. It it is a contextual term. That's absolutely right. I mean, essentially it's a political philosophy that you do believe some degree of intervention, some degree of social reform within limits, within reason. That's the key point here, uh, is helpful toward improving the human condition. That's, that's the bottom line of progressivism. It has nothing to do with political affiliation, nothing to do with left or right. Uh, that's been totally uh, scapegoated by the right, unfortunately, and uh, the left has misconstrued it. That's true, and I would also point out that I think that probably the real far left, the real radical left, um, is also ideologically motivated to do that. They are autom- ideologically motivated to redefine progressive as being synonymous with what they want because, you know, who wouldn't want progress, right? Right. That's right. But I think the key here is um, progressives would generally base their approaches on empirical knowledge and evidence. Um, it wouldn't be based on ideology. It would be based on purely on math and solutions and data-driven um, looking at actually freeing people, I think, you know, the progress, if you think of progress, in my opinion, at least, it's uh, something that should be able to be universally applied, not something that is, uh, you know, sort of put under that policy or this policy, but rather, let's look together at a solution that works based on evidence. Yeah, I think you're getting to the heart of what Corey and I were both trying to accomplish with this podcast, and which is remains its core um, goal to this day is uh, that we want to move society and change the narrative around political issues so that we stop thinking of one another as our fellow Americans as enemies. Um, and instead, we think of one another as different people with shared values, um, but who have different values, but who have different priorities and who don't share all of the same values, right? Um, and, and, and so when, given that fact, we can't expect, um, every problem to be solved by this or that, uh, ideology, uh, liberalism is, um, a whole other term, right? Which is both conservative and progressive. Um, I would argue, uh, and, uh, it's based on the idea that given the fact that we are individuals with, with different values and priorities, um, but who share certain core values, that are uh, beyond um, parochial politics, values like we believe in democracy, we believe in the rule of law, um, that when, when we uh, work out our differences and find compromise and, and, and consensus is even better than compromise, um, that that is what, what is the best way of making progress while simultaneously preserving what's good about society because, again, going backwards is literally the opposite of progress. 
Yeah, I think another way of saying it would be um, you can't necessarily say that the word change uh, is synonymous with progressive progress and, uh, you know, actually changing something. Sometimes not changing it, uh, keeping things as they are. If it works, as they say, don't break it or, or you know, don't change it. If it uh, but if it's broken, then, you know, take a look at it. And uh, so that's really the way I kind of think of when I'm thinking of progressivism, whereas uh, liberalism to me uh, has more to do with uh, the way we set up uh, our degree of autonomy, uh, rather it be economics or socially. If we're talking about civil liberties, we're talking about uh, uh, Keynesian economics, for example, you know, how much of the individual self-determined versus connected to the general society and uh, how those interplay. That's that's what I think of when I think of liberalism, more uh, whereas progressivism is more more about solutions and moving forward. Yeah. Okay. So what what would you say to somebody who does? Um, and I, I would I, I think this is all too common a mistake. Who does think that the only way to be progressive is to be left wing, and the only way to be conservative is to be right wing? What would you say to to persuade them that that simplistic way of thinking about the about the issues of our day well, you, is you, uh, unwise? Yeah, I think that what you just said, uh, you know, it's like uh, it's very one dimensional. Uh, it doesn't really speak to the way we live our lives out individually. You know, every day we're thinking about making changes. You know, we might see a particular room that is degraded and we might say, Hey, let's make repairs. Let's make changes. Or I don't like the color of the, 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 the way the, the wall looks, but we don't necessarily think that going in and tearing down the, the entire house, um, is always a solution, uh, to maybe, uh, say, you know, rot in a one room and one wall. Right. Uh, so, that's the way we tend to live our lives. That is the way we live our lives, not even tend to. So why would we then change that and become myopic and say, oh, no, I'm only going to do it this way in the political landscape? That is a broader discussion of the way we live our lives out in the social sphere. I think that's just uh, not realistic. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a, a situation where the um, decline of traditional religion, which as an atheist, I I welcome, frankly, um, nevertheless has left a vacuum in, um, in, in people where they're looking for other ways of finding meaning in their lives and purpose Absolutely. in their lives to make themselves it, feel like a good person. Right. And, and so they, they, they sign up to politics like it, like it is a religion, like, um, a, like it's basically a secular religion where there are these core dogmas um, that you must stick to and any deviation from those dogmas, even slightly, it's like not only religious, but it's fundamentalist religious, right? Mm -hmm. This idea uh, that you must stick totally to a certain set of dogmas, whether that dogma is um, the idea that government must be as small as humanly possible, um, that taxes should be as low as possible, that we should do away with all um, social welfare programs, um, which is the which is the side that I would be closer to, but I am not um, a dogmatist on those issues. Um, or if you're, or if it's the idea that the answer is always higher taxes and always more social programs and always more government intervention, and there's no such thing as too big a government, right? Um, both of those approaches are um, they're not really helpful because there's absolutely no way that you can possibly thread the needle with somebody who doesn't share all of those dogmas. And that's why things turn into a us versus them, black and white, toxic uh, war. Um, right. That's what leads to civil war. That's what leads to the destruction of democracy is when you have two sides that feel like they just have to win um, and they're not willing to work with the other side at all. Um, that's, uh, that's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there needs to be a discussion about um, how much of the electoral system is still intact and how much faith do the American people have in that system and the government uh, in order for that to really function at its best. Uh, I think that's where sometimes the progressive radical left tends to go off the rails and so, uh, also includes some of the radical right uh, Trumpians uh, where they think that the way to uh, make change in America or to keep things the way you want them is by demanding it, you know, um, 
by picketing, by protesting, by threatening people, when uh, in fact that, you know, like they're taking it out of context, they're, they're sort of superimposing the way America was founded, you know, with the um, the, the militiamen against the British or the way the civil rights movement happened under Martin Luther King, which was by and large very peaceful, um, you know, in terms of the way they, they ran it. Of course, the police was very violent toward African-Americans, of course. But um, so I do think there is a misunderstanding of the way to get electoral politics done. And so when we think about progressivism, it's not just about policy only, but it's also getting your feet wet and understanding how the system works. Because one way I say it is uh, being principled is really um, useless if you don't have principles without results. Um, And a lot of what you're seeing happening on both the radical right and the radical left are not ultimate long-term solutions. They're just uh, ego gratifications for the immediate moment. They're sort of like, uh, what is that saying? Lacking delayed gratification ultimately. So yeah, yes. and of course, just to... But I want to just yeah. say one oh, thing, Rio. I, I thought it was interesting that you were you were saying that you are um, you consider yourself as agnostic. Uh, and often people think of uh, people who are on the right or, uh, you know, a Republican, is often stereotype them as being religious, right? Uh, and those that are on, more on the left, which I tend to be more progressive uh, or more left than I am right compared to, to Rio, uh, but I consider myself as a Christian. So, you know, it, it, it just sort of breaks the notion uh, of, of so much that's out there, stereotypes that I think mainstream media, uh, people try to take advantage of to pit people against each other for their political agenda. It just really creates a smokescreen. It doesn't really get to the heart of who we are and what ultimately is going to lead to the, the solutions we all want. Yeah, yeah. Part of the problem is just because of the fact that people use right as a synonym for Republican, you know, it, that um, it obscures the fact that there are lots of people who call themselves Republican who economically like Bernie Sanders's vision better than Joe Biden's vision. Um, you know, so there are people who call themselves Christian who actually are right wing um, in the, the proper sense of, of being pro free trade capitalism and uh, pro, uh, you know, small government and low taxes and and uh, less generous uh, safety nets and so forth. Um, but then there are also people who are Christians who think, believe that uh, Jesus' teaching, core teaching was that you should uh, care about the least among us and uh, be really generous toward the poor. So it would seem to me as somebody who's actually read the Bible, um, a lot of Christians haven't. <laughs> I'm sure you have because you're a very uh, astute, uh, learned person. But um, I, in my experience, it's all too common when push comes to shove, that a self-identified Christian will admit that they've never read the whole thing. Um, it would seem to me that somebody who had actually read the Bible and had given the a level of um, preference that you really should give to the teachings of Jesus Christ in Christianity, um, that they would be tend toward the left side, right? And so if anything, it seems like... Uh, it's the the Christian um, people on the right who are the hypocrites. I don't have that problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think that people, or particularly the right or the GOP, you know, they've they've cozied up for political gain uh, to the religious. You know, they sort of scratch each other's back. It just reminds me of the sort of fat, uh, fat Sadducees and uh, Pharisees story of Jesus, who is trying to take laws out of government and make the personal relationship. Uh, or religious laws and make the personal relationship um, of God between the person and God, you know, not the the person and the state. Uh, and I, I just feel, uh, you know, you see a lot of disingenuousness, uh, as you said, hypocrite, hypocrisy. Uh, Trump is a great example of that, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's also possible, it's also entirely possible to be religious and still be secular, right? Which would be more, which is would be more compatible with our constitution. So our constitution and our first amendment 
is explicitly secular in the sense that it um, it says that the state um, should not uh, establish uh, a religion, um, nor should it infringe upon the free exercise thereof. Right. So the point is, there's uh, as Jefferson called it in his letter to uh, the Danbury Baptists, um, a wall between church and state. We are not a theocracy. We are a fundamentally secular society. So one's personal beliefs could be that you should be as generous as possible as a per, as an individual and then still not believe that it should go through the government. That makes sense to me. But it, 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 the outcome of secularism really is that you notice that there is a difference between your personal religious beliefs and what your political ideology would be. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to have anything to add to that. That, that was very well said. All right. So um, maybe let's, uh, we've still got some time, so maybe let's talk a little policy. Um, we both support UBI, uh, specifically Andrew Yang's Freedom Dividend version of it, uh, presumably because we think that it achieves the goals that we want to achieve, um, both uh, progressive and conservative goals. Um, and we've gone over that quite a lot in this podcast many, many times. So let's just quickly touch on that as a jumping off point. And then I'd actually like to talk to you a little bit about healthcare and education reform and, and how we might be able to thread the needle between progressive and conservative there. I do think the universal basic income is a very uh, balanced approach to uh, providing uh, some of the solutions both the left and the right wants in that the left um, is able to, to uh, capitalize on uh, helping people really you know that they, they have this great concern for the people that are, you know are in po- you know poverty or disadvantaged and um, for the right I think it also speaks to self-autonomy which is often a very important value. Uh, for the, those on the right, not to suggest the right or the left don't to some degree value those also, but uh, ultimately, you know, one more than the other when we're thinking about left or right in general. Uh, but I think universal basic income is a great way to sort of uh, come to the middle ground about a solution that I think ultimately most of us can agree with and find something good in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I think the progressive case for UBI is fairly straightforward. I've made the conservative case for it in in, in detail in other episodes. We don't get into it into a ton in a ton of detail, but basically, um, you know, the idea would be that our current tax and spend welfare system puts the burden of funding our social welfare programs um, more on the middle class um, and certainly more on the upper middle class than it does on the the genuinely rich. Uh, as the the middle class, um, and in the case of payroll taxes, even the working poor uh, pay uh, effectively a higher percentage of their income in taxes than the obscenely rich do. Um, and and so something that both conservative and progressive people um, would welcome, I would think, would be a situation where we actually grow the middle class, um, and we uh, also simultaneously help people out of poverty. So the, cur- the, current, the current welfare system um, traps people in poverty because as soon as they start to earn money, they lose those benefits, whereas a non-means-tested UBI stacks on their income and helps them escape poverty, get into the middle class, doesn't punish them for succeeding, and also acts as de facto tax relief for people who are already in the middle class, which means that they can save more, they can invest more, they have more money for their child- children's education, they have more money for um, for uh, anything that they want, and the, the chance of them um, becoming uh, independently wealthy, so to speak, actually goes up. So whereas um, a far-left vision is anti-wealth, Yang's vision of human capitalism is actually about generating more wealth and also making sure that that a broader percentage of the population, eventually 100% of the population, has the benefits thereof. Yeah, and uh, if you think about the current welfare system itself, uh, it's very expensive, it's very cumbersome, very bureaucratic heavy, and uh, the effectiveness rate is not very high. It's in some ways very demoralizing, demeaning to have to continually justify your existence, justify why you qualify for these programs. Something like 10, 15% qualify, meaning a good 80% are left behind that should get those um, benefits. And so really, ultimately, it's not 
proven to be a very effective program. It's been going on. You know, the current welfare system, whether it's TANF or food stamps or uh, whatever, uh, ultimately we're finding those are very costly and they're not really bringing poverty down and they're not touching the people uh, at the numbers that we'd like to see. Yeah, they also create a lot of resentment where because we're forcing the middle class to fit the bill for it, and in some cases, even working people to fit the bill for it, it creates a lot of resentment where the middle class is pitted against the poor and the working class is pitted against the poor, the not the working poor are pitted, pitted against the non-working poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's very obvious to me that that is the reason that we don't have more progress is to the extent that people are committed to this, um, you know, there's a saying that like the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Uh, I feel like that's where, we're, right. that's where we're trapped right now. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good example of how change and conserving uh, can find its outcome through UBI because, you know, on the one hand, um, you are conserving a lot of the values of the right, you know, such as autonomy, such as free enterprise, uh, making your own choice or freeing up tax base, et cetera, or uh, freeing up, you know, as you were talking about, some of the emotional hard, uh, hard work that comes with that. And then on the left, uh, of course, you know, we already talked about some of the benefits of that, um, that ultimately talk about changing things uh, for, for the better, for people that are in need, you know, getting money in their hands. Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that, that's important from the progressive angle um, is the recognition that a lot of people who should be able to get these programs don't get them. And uh, UBI is automatic. Uh, and therefore, there's no hoops for them to jump to. There's there's no there's nothing that they need to do to prove that they did that they're worthy. They just get it, um, yeah, and, and I, so that I, that I means wanna... that more people have the help they need. But it right. also means that people who currently resent it, and I'm one of them, by the way, um, don't have no reason to because we benefit from it as well. Exactly. Yeah. And lastly, I'd like to emphasize the. Uh, you know, those that are on uh, those different programs, uh, you know, how demeaning that can be. You know, not only, not only does it create, as you were talking about, you know, uh, people that are resentful, but it also creates, uh, you know, a lot of uh, self, self-esteem uh, issues, I would argue, ultimately for a lot of people. You know, it's like, well, you know, I'm on food stamps or I'm on this or I'm on that. And people generally can look down on that. Even people on the left, you know, that are, you know, say they are for those programs will often make fun of people, the, the poor white in South America that are on all these, you know, Yeah, meanwhile, stamps. there are people with no shame who will cheat the system and happily take the food stamps even though exactly. they don't need it. Exactly. It's 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 really it's, it's a just ground, awful. Really. It really is just awful, and and so I I think that the UBI uh, is a perfect example of a policy that is threading both conservative and progressive goals and both left and right wing goals. The right wing should welcome people getting off welfare. The white wing should welcome more people being able to enter the labor market. The right wing should welcome tax relief for working people. The right wing should welcome tax relief for the middle class and even the upper middle class. All yeah. of these things are good, um, but they only work that way because it's funded by a, a value-added tax. If it was funded by hiking taxes on the middle class, that would obviously be very counterproductive. And sadly, that's what a lot of radical leftists would prefer. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're chumming up here today, Rio. You have to give me something more challenging. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> no, I mean, disagree. It's silly, it's silly fine. Like, not every not every episode has to be, you know, a knockdown fight. <laughs> right, like right, I said, there's right. plenty of things we, we do disagree yeah, I about. Uh, I mean, I consider myself on the left for many different reasons, but that's not uh, one of them. I mean, I see the value of the value out of tax. I, I see your point about why tax Americans for you know, something they don't have a choice in. We're just going to kind of give you the bill anyway um, and then turn around and give you money. You know, it's like, why? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So actually, you know, that's like, a great way to segue into something that maybe would be a little more challenging. But um, I we, we can go um, do a more deep dive on these policy issues in another episode. But really quickly, um, I think there are two other really key examples. And these are not things that Yang ran on, but they are things that I am um, advocating um, and uh, I don't want to take all the credit for the ideas, but uh, the, the in this manifestation, um, they are kind of my inv- innovation. They actually happened um, organically on the podcast, talking to Corey about the topics. But basically, there's what I'm calling um, a healthcare dividend and an education dividend. Um, and uh, really briefly, the healthcare dividend would be the goal of of that would be to replace the current 
Medicare system, which I see as essentially the healthcare equivalent of um, the our, of our means-tested tax and spend um, welfare system, but you know, in in medicine, I w- would be to replace that just much like how we were replacing that with a UBI. It would be to replace that with a healthcare dividend, and the healthcare dividend would 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 be in conjunction with a public option. So you, on top of your freedom dividend, you get a certain amount of money per month. And you can either spend that on a public option, which guarantees that all of your healthcare will be taken care of, or you can keep it and spend it in the private market. And the reason I like that idea is because it creates real competition between public and private sector. Um, whereas, of course, if one option is free and or one option you're forced to buy, whether you use it or not, that's not real competition. I want to preserve the benefits of competition while also guaranteeing that everybody gets healthcare without anything out of pocket. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, that was going to be my big question to you, uh, too, really. How is it different from the health savings accounts? Uh, and second would be, uh, how would you pay for that? And um, I actually have a third one, and that is, you did mention that there would be no out-of-pocket expenses. So I guess that just leads me back to my first question. How do you pay for that? Okay, can we take those one at a time? I didn't write them down. So the first question was what? <laughs> how is that different from the health savings um, accounts. I think it's so, right. Okay. So, I mean, in, in, in practice, the main difference is that if you like, let's say you have a health savings account, right. And you put a certain amount of money into it, right. Um, this would be get money from the government, like a freedom dividend that, that, um, is not means tested that stacks on whatever income you have. Um, and therefore it's not out of pocket from you. Right. And the the amount of it, this is to answer your 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 question about. I'll have, I'll get to the paying for it later. Your question about how it's different from the health savings account. All it's not only does it differ because it's money that's not out of pocket, but it differs because the amount is exactly equal to the cost of the public option, um, which guarantees um, essentially what what, what uh, Bernie Sanders calls Medicare for all. Right. So if you choose to to go on that program, then you don't you don't get the cash from the healthcare dividend because the cost of it is exactly equal to the healthcare dividend. Um, however, if you choose to spend it in the private healthcare market, you can keep it. Mm. Um, and okay. it's important; it's key to point out it doesn't cost them anything out of pocket. This public option; it's just in lieu of receiving the healthcare dividend. All right. So the current Medicare for all uh, per Bernie would still have, you know, $200 for medication, up to $200 uh, per year for, for brand uh, name medications. That's, and there would be no, co- no co-payments, no deductibles. Is that, would that also be the case for the dividends uh, program? Um, are you saying $200 per year for, oh, just for the medications though? Only brand name, medica- I think it's brand, I can always get them mixed up, generic or brand name, but one of them, uh, well, I'm I'm intentionally I'm intentionally laying this out right now, where I'm not saying a specific amount. I did I did work it out where it would be a thousand dollars, and and just for an example on on our website's blog, but it could work with right. whatever the actual cost is, right? So if we determine that the cost per capita for providing uh, Medicare for all is X dollars, then that would be the amount of the dividend. It wouldn't just be for medication; it would cover everything. It would cover uh, preventative care, as well as essential care. So it wouldn't just be essential essential care. Um, it would be equivalent to what Bernie Sanders is proposing in every way other than in the fact that it's tied to the dividend um, in, instead of instead of just, you know, uh, inse- basically instead of taking money from regular people to pay for it, um, it's it's giving them the option of keeping this money, which is which uh, comes from the government, does not come from them, or uh, being on the program. Yeah, I, I think that the only, um, there's a couple of problems I have, potentially have with it, and maybe I just don't fully understand it. Um, let me first start by saying I think the left has the framing of healthcare all wrong. Um, this idea healthcare is a right is a complete falsehood. Um, humans don't come into the world with, you know, like, oh, we, I'm a healthcare insurance, you know, is attached to me in some way. I get, you know, um, I, I prefer the framing of healthcare being in the way you said it, a guarantee. Um, but 
outside of that, the uh, unless I misunderstand you, like if I were to go out and utilize that dividend and I invest in the stock market or whatever, and then something does happen to me and then I don't have the cushion in the bank account, what happens to, to me in that instance? Um, you would simply at that, you would simply at that point, um, fill out a form, um, and then you would be on the public system, but you would stop receiving the dividend. Okay. Yeah. I'd have to, I'd definitely have to see the nuances of, of what you're, you're proposing here, um, mainly because I can see it being a money drain, uh, unless you're going to provide some really sound answers to some of the questions I have about it. Like, well, uh, let me, allow me to answer the question about the, um, about paying for it. Um, the answer is, uh, there's obviously there's multiple ways of raising revenue, uh, for the government. Um, and I do not, uh, want to have a huge deficit. So I, I have my ways of, of preferring to pay for things, but the point being, regardless of how you pay for it, whether you pay for it, how I want to pay for it, or you pay for it, how Bernie Sanders wants to pay for it. The cost is there is a cost per capita for providing Medicare for all, whatever that dollar amount is. And that dollar amount is sure to change. Would you agree with that? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So whatever the cost per capita is, we are already committing to pay for it if we decide to do Medicare for all. Would you agree with that? How, yes. Right. Uh, right. And so the only difference would be, in my case, I give people an option that they can either take that dollar amount from the government, or they can go on the public program. Okay. So if they take that dollar amount as a dividend and they use it for some other uh, purposes, uh, and then they get into a healthcare crisis and they don't have the funding uh, on their person, uh, the, does that then mean the government has to pick up that difference? Um, it means that, that that means that they might they would then be motivated to go on the public program. But I'm using this uh, as a public option and, and, and with the uh, the mandate, right? So if they take the dividend, they are they still are mandated to have insurance. So they would have to purchase private insurance. They couldn't take all of that money invest it unless they already had enough money for the insurance themselves. Okay, I see. All right. So in that instance, that case, they would have to definitely figure something out uh, on their own. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I well, no, see. I mean, actually, they wouldn't necessarily if they decide, like, for example, they, 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 so, okay, there's actually a missing detail here, which is relevant to the education dividend as well. But the, the missing detail is that you have a standard for what should be covered by insurance, whether it's public or private. Mm-hmm. And it's a very high okay. standard, right? It's preventative care. It's or preventive. I had a doctor correct me on that one time and say that it's preventive, but I Googled it and it looks like it's both are actually accurate. Any case, um, so it includes preventive care. Uh, it includes essential care. It includes medication. It, you know, it it it, in, it includes um, you know the the whole smorgasbord of of what you would want your insurance to cover, whether it's the public option or a private one. Um, but you just, I'm just preserving that benefit because competition, I really believe that competition is good. So this is a way of threading the needle with the left and right is why I bring it up as an example. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on this one topic, but I think it's, it's another example of threading the needle. It's, uh, it's basically applying the same exact logic as UBI, but to healthcare. Yeah. Um, I know that this is, this discussion is not really about the nuances of, of one of the policies you're throwing out there. Um. I think for me, the big question about healthcare goes back to, as a human species, you know, where we are in our sort of evolution, if you want to call it that. Um, where do we want to go uh, in terms of do we want everyone to be guaranteed healthcare? Um, if that, you know, if the way to do that is the way you're proposing it uh, versus the way Bernie perhaps is proposing it, I, I definitely think that's worthy looking at. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not like saying Medicare for all is the final solution. The only reason I tend toward Medicare for all at this time uh, is mainly because I think it speaks to the core of um, the way I, I think, or I would like to see at least the way I value humanism uh, or think of humanism is, to, uh, you know, if we can, t- you know, be in a position where everybody's taking care of each other and that you know, if I if you're in your worst position, you've got cancer. I think it's a very barbaric uh, society that is the richest nation on earth, and that person is sort of left out in the cold. You know, with this 
humongous debt and they've got cancer you know it's yeah just like, i actually agree with that so i, th- I think like as you said we can't we don't have time to go into the massive details of that particular policy but as an example i think it serves its purpose because i agree with you so w- what i'm saying is uh, i'll just stipulate for now and we can talk about it in more detail another time that it, in my proposal it is also guaranteed Healthcare is guaranteed in both right. instances. It's just that in one case, the benefits of the marketplace and the benefits of having choice as a consumer is preserved, and in the other, yeah. it's taken away. I think we'll have a philosophical discussion on that too, because I'm not certain that um, the best way forward is to commodify healthcare. I mean, I think that's really where the deeper discussion is. You know, um, yeah, you know, I, I would just, I would add a little follow-up point, which is just that. Um, while it's true that there are a handful of countries that have single payer, most countries that have universal health care do not have single payer, as I think you probably know. Um, and countries that have universal health care, whether or not you outlaw um, uh, uh, private insurance, um, in, in all, all of those cases, their society is doing quite well on the healthcare front. So I don't think that it's I it's, I don't think it's fair of the left to characterize it like single payer is the only way to have universal healthcare. That's not true. Um, but I, I I understand the 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 merits of wanting the the single payer system. I just also think there are downsides to it. One of the downsides being that if the government does a shitty job with it, you're stuck. <laughs> there's no alternative. But of course, there's also there's also downsides to, to other other ways of going about it. But, um, if done if done properly, I would be in favor of universal health care. What I don't want is a situation where you are forced to pay for the public option, whether you use it or not. Um, I want a situation where you have a choice between the public option or the private option. And I think that the left is right that if it costs out of pocket for the public option, that's bad. So I don't want it to cost out of pocket. Instead, what I want to do is I want to give them what the government would spend on, on their, on their uh, public insurance um, and let them purchase private insurance with it. That's what creates real competition. I will give you this real. I would say that based on, just the descriptions I've heard today, I, I think at the very least, your option sounds better than the public option. Uh, as far as Medicare for I'll take all, that. I think the biggest thing uh, that I'm challenged with is going back again to the philosophical discussion. And one of the angles, or, or one of the uh, reasons why I, I tend to side with the left on this and Medicare for all at this time would be, uh, I feel like the, the discussion needs to be uh, fronted with a, hu- uh, a humanistic or, or humanitarian uh, drive, you know, um, at its root, at its core, rather than a marketplace drive. And that's what concerns me. I'm not necessarily opposed to markets, uh, but I'm more uh, concerned about the way we contextualize the discussion and where that ultimately leads. Yeah, that is know. definitely a, a philosophical uh, disagreement, which we, we could have a whole episode just talking about that, the benefits of markets and the downsides of markets. Um, I take your point on that. I raise these two as additional examples of, of ways of threading the needle with left and right, where you can achieve goals, uh, progressive goals of improving the status quo that don't necessarily have to be entirely coming from left-wing ideology. All right, and then the last example is the education dividend, which um, which is uh, going to be quick and easy because it's essentially the same principle as the healthcare dividend. We already have a system right now where uh, people are forced to pay for uh, taxes that are meant to, to support public schools, um, federal taxes, but actually mainly it comes from property taxes. Uh, so people who don't own property don't pay it, but they do pay the federal part of it. Um, and whether or not they use it, and also, frankly, whether or not they have children. Um, and it means that while we do have private options, um, people who go to private school, their parents presumably are paying, because if they're rich enough to send their kids to private school, then they're probably also rich enough they have to pay for the public education of other people's kids, right? So it creates a situation where it's not real competition, where one option is free, or you are forced to pay for it whether you want it or not, Whereas the other option is actually optional, right? And 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 uh, so there's the, the 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 cost of sending someone to a private school is astronomical because you're being you're paying for that, but you're also paying the same amount of money as you would if your kid had gone to the public school, even though they're not using the system. So what I would propose is that we take the per capita cost of a public education, 
We take it away from property taxes because doing it through property taxes means that if you live in a rich neighborhood, you get a better public education than if you live in a poor one. I want all public schools to be good, really high uh, accreditation standards for both public and private schools. Um, and of course, uh, a requirement that your kid must go to school. Um, and then just give people the option. Do you want to keep the education dividend and spend it uh, on a private education for your child? Or do you want uh, to go into the public school system, in which case uh, the dividend covers the cost and there's nothing out of pocket that it costs you? What would you think about that? I think the first question a left person might have would be, how is that different from vouchers? Uh, and of course, minus what you described, you no longer have to have that in your property tax. Um, that would be my first one. Oh, yeah. How's it different from vouchers? Um, the, the, the difference is that it doesn't cost you anything out of pocket for the private school system, right? It's nothing. I mean, it, it costs you, I'm sorry, it costs you nothing out of pocket for the public school system. So the public school system is still covered, right? You can right. still send your kid to public school. The, the accreditation standards would be better than they are now. Um, and if you want to send them to private school, then you have the, then you can keep the dividend. And it, I guess another difference is um, if in the case of a voucher system, it only applies if you have children. Whereas in this case, if you decide not to have kids, then you de facto get to keep the dividend. Right, right. Yeah, I think that what I'm getting from this also, also, frankly, um, it, it, it's different from the voucher system because we're talking about dollar for dollar. This is the per capita cost of a public school education. As opposed to here is a voucher for what the per capita cost would be to spend on only on education. Whereas this, the, the, the person, it really is a, a, a real, um, it, it really is real competition because you're, you're being, you're not being given a voucher. You're being given cash that you can spend that is equivalent to the cost of a public education on literally anything you want. Yeah, I'm not necessarily opposed to what you're setting forth. I think again, uh, my biggest question would be about generating the funding for such what sounds like a very large program. That's you know, true, that, but I mean, you know, we already have it. We already what 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 we already have to pay one hundred percent of the cost per capita of a public school education. Although um, in this case, uh, you're correct that you would have to find an alternative to uh, property taxes for the part that's covered by property taxes. But in my experience. That is something that most people on the left support because they rightly recognize that it's totally unfair that people who live in a rich neighborhood get a better public right. school. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this just goes back to uh, what I was originally saying. Uh, progressivism is not right or left, and it really speaks to solutions. And, um, you know, some of the things you've laid out today sounds pretty sound to me, you know, sensible. Yeah, exactly. And you wouldn't even necessarily have to agree with them, but I do, I agree yeah. with you. I think that they, they do serve as examples of your, your broader point, which is why I brought them up. Um, I'd love to talk about them in more detail with you another time. I'd love to get into a whole conversation with you about the pros and cons of, of uh, com com the commodification of things and, and the marketplace. Um, because of course, my question to you would be, all right, well, if you want to take healthcare out of the market and you want to take education out of the market, um, you know, what stays in the market? Like what, 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 what about the people on the left who say like food shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a commodity and housing shouldn't be a commodity. Where do you draw the line? I mean, should clothing be a commodity where like what can be a commodity? And I, I, I don't mean to make a slippery slope fallacy. Yeah. I'm not saying that you, I mean, of course you're, you absolutely could have a principal position that you do draw the line somewhere. It just seems to me uh, from a philosophical perspective, it's not obvious where to draw that line. And it's not like everybody on the left agrees about drawing it in the same place. Right. Well, I guess what I'm trying to do is take the conversation in a different direction uh, when I think of progressivism, uh, mainly because, as we were originally saying, it's neither right or left. And where I think we are currently, we are very market heavy, um, mainly because, you know, as again, we were talking about kleptocracy, um, the gap between the rich and the poor, so forth and so on. Uh, so when we're having that discussion, as uh, if we're on the right, uh, and we want to find compromise or consensus rather, um, I think it's important to, uh, you know, like think about framing and marketing and the way we talk about that. Uh, when you're talking about an exaggerated uh, situation, we're talking about economics, you know, it's like, 
I think the left generally would see the marketplace as exaggerated, right? Um, and so you're wanting to say, oh, let's dismantle Social Security, let's dismantle the public uh, school system, let's dismantle whatever Medicare that's pre-existing. You know, that's pretty frightening for. A yeah, lot I of, wouldn't. I would. I absolutely agree with your point. Um, not only rhetorically. I, I mean, I absolutely would not use the phrase dismantle. I don't like that at all, right, rhetorically. But also just as a matter of, of fact, that's not what I'm proposing. I would argue that what I'm proposing, and you don't have to agree with this, and we could get into it in a longer conversation, but I would argue that what I'm proposing would actually improve the quality of Medicare and improve the quality of public education. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely I can see some of the points you're making and where that could be the case. But I think, again, you know... Um, you know, that's just, you know, going back to what I was trying to uh, point out is um, it isn't so much that the progressives are left leaning. It's more that um, sort of the, the space out there is 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 dominated by, a, you know, market or capitalism sort of on hyperdrive uh, that's been injected with, you know, obviously corporatism. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that point generally. Um, and actually, the examples I, I brought up are, are um, a good example of the fact that it doesn't have to be that way, right? You know, I mean, I just gave uh, two that are very market focused and that I would argue are actually more market focused than what we have. And if I'm correct, that it would also result in better Medicare and better education, right? Or even if it just resulted in equivalent Medicare and education, um, that would be proof right there. Um, I, I would I would argue that at least theoretically it stands as um, a theoretical um, example of the fact that you don't have to be anti-market to be progressive. That that that's the main point, regardless of whether or not you agree on the specific yeah. policy. Right, I, I agree with that last statement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and frankly, I I I think that those of us who are are on the right and who are um, substantially pro-market. Um, need to get with the program and start supporting ideas like I just laid out because otherwise um, the left will inevitably win because they're the only people offering real options. Right. And that, that's really what the point I was trying to make is I think that um, I'm glad you said that because that's really what I was driving at is, is there is, uh, you know, a, a huge vacuum, you know, that, that needs to be filled in regards to being more civil in the way we do economics, uh, in the way we're approaching some of the social issues that we're all facing. And it's become a bit brutal, whether it's coming from the left or right. But right now the landscape is, it's much more brutal coming from, uh, I would argue from the right in, in the way that their conversation is around economics, you know, given the fact that you have growing uh, disparity between the rich and the poor, and you're still talking about marketplaces. You know, like I'm not saying you specifically, uh, but you know, the first argument comes out from many people on the right would be arguing protecting the market over the human. Uh, that's not going to be. No, I, I absolutely. I think you're right. And Andrew Yang has given us a really good example of how to thread that needle and the, the way of threading it is human capitalism. Um, he, capitalism without the human element is not something that the left is ever going to support. Um, but capitalism with the human evidence element, maybe we can get enough people from the left to do it and enough people from the right. Not everybody on the right is going to be okay with that, by the way. Right. But if we can get enough people from the left and the right to agree on that. Then maybe we can start to work together to achieve real progress, regardless of the details of the specific policy. I think that the general principle is something we can both get behind. Right. I like that. Uh, the only thing, the, the only, uh, thing I would add to that is, you know, and again, I, I know you're probably saying this, but I'm emphasizing it, is how important uh, the language around that is as we're, if we're considering those, uh, you know, different policies. Yeah, no kidding. And it also depends who you're talking to. If you're trying to persuade a leftist, then you're going to say it differently. Or I should say, to be more specific, if you're trying to persuade a socialist, you're going to say it differently than if you're trying to persuade a capitalist. Right, exactly. All right. That sounds great. And uh, by the way, Joshua, in closing, I, I'm going to give you the final word. It's a tradition I'm doing now. Uh, I'm trying to give um, the lefties on the show the final word always because as the anchoring host, I have a lot of power to control the narrative. <laughs> so I'm trying to always give them the final word. So before I, I give you give you the final word, um, I will I will uh, say my, my last word. Um, which is that I agree with you that in terms of the ideas that are on the on the table, um, there aren't enough progressive 
right-wing ideas out there right now. Um, and so that is something that's a, a hole that I'm trying to fill. Um, uh, although I don't necessarily agree that the, the, the situation we're in right now is, is all that hyper capitalist. I think that the situation we're in right now is actually both better and worse than pure capitalism would be by which I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's clearly, um, better than pure capitalism in, from a progressive perspective, um, in that there is, uh, there is social security, there is Medicare, there is welfare, there are food stamps, there are public schools. None of that would exist in a purely capitalist society. So I think it's just as a matter of fact, better than um, hyper-capitalism would be. But it's also worse than hyper-capitalism in some respects. And that's the way um, that Bernie Sanders, frankly, rightly calls corporate socialism. Um, that is really bad. Uh, we should not be robbing from working class and middle class people and then giving it to extremely wealthy corporations. So I, I, that'd be my final word is that I think it's both better and worse than real capitalism, just to clarify my position there. All right. And I will give you the final word. Yeah, I, I, I would just reemphasize uh, the general discussion about progressivism is not about right or left. It's not about Democrat versus Republican, uh, conservative versus progressive. It, progressivism it encompasses all of those. It's merely a philosophy. And to the degree that we want to find solutions uh, to the problems we all face to improve the human condition. And there are many solutions coming from right or left, so forth and so on toward those ends. And I hope we can start having those broader, more open discussions. Yeah, I completely agree. And do you want to say it? Moving forward is our gumbo. This is Josh from New Progressive Voice. So thank you very much for listening in to Rio and our discussion about progressivism. So definitely go over to movingforwardpod.com to support the cause to consensus building. Building bridges is more vital than ever. So definitely check them out. <laughs>